All right. If you have a Bible, meet me in John chapter 11. I want to ask you a question while you're turning there, though. Have you ever taken anything for granted? You need to raise your hand and confess your sins in church today. Have you ever taken anything for granted? We could go farther, right? Like, have you ever taken anything for granted before you got to church today? Right? Like, all the time, right? Another way to say... Taking something for granted is to say that you have put your trust in something. I think a lot of times we think about taking things for granted as all negative, And there are certainly those, right? I take my wife for granted. I take my family for granted. I take our church for granted. I take the facilities for granted. I take a lot of things for granted in that way. But I also want to point out that in some ways, taking things for granted is not all bad, Right? That when you put your trust in something, you kind of take it for granted. Now, there's definitely that negative spin, but we all kind of do that. I'm sure you catch drift, but our text today is like that. Some of us, and to just let the cat out of the bag, the story's about Lazarus. Some of us have heard the story of Lazarus so many times that it's lost its reality to us. And I certainly, reading it this week, studying it this week, had to come at it with a fresh prayer and fresh eyes because the reality that God would take somebody who was dead and bring them back to life is pretty crazy. I mean, if He showed up here next week and raise somebody from the dead that was already in the grave like Lazarus, it would be news, right? We understand that. So I'm titling today's sermon, and I don't normally give you a title, but I am today because I want it to be on the top of your mind. I'm titling today's sermon, Lazarus and Me. Lazarus and Me, because a lot of times I think we forget that were it not for God, right? What's Scripture say? We were what in our sins? What? Dead. How much do dead people do? Come on, if you're watching online, let me hear you. (laughs) Because they're not loud enough. (laughs) Like dead people don't do anything, right? So when Jesus says that he calls people from death to life, I think a lot of times we get confused about our salvation, don't we? Like what is salvation? It's not something I'm doing or surrendering to or making Jesus or any of that. We are brought from death to life. Right? And so the reason we say baptism is so important is because it's in that moment that we declare to the rest of the watching church, right? This idea that we are raised to do what? Walk in newness of life. Right. So there's a lot happening and there are numerous threads we could pull on in this story. I'm going to do my best to help us with a few. So here we go. John chapter 11, starting in verse one. Bible says this. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Martha was the one. Sorry, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume And wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, 
the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God. For some of you, that might just be the phrase for you today. This sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. A lot of times we are told that if we follow Jesus, that he will do X, Y, or Z. But oftentimes it is his will that you might suffer. We don't like that. But here's what he says, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now, let's pause there for a second. The name Lazarus itself literally means the one who God helps. So God is in the business of helping. He's going to help Lazarus and you. He's going to do that. He does that. How many of us have, have been on the receiving end of the help of God? Come on, class. How many of us have been on the receiving end of God's help? Make some noise, right? Like we all have, right? We've all been on the receiving end of that. We've all received help. And we can take a separate, we all have a story to tell. But we're gathered as the church today, right? And so we're going to be honest we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're going to be honest with each other, and we're going to be honest before the Lord, right? Because we're fine with one through five. We don't like that our sickness might be from God and for his glory so that we can maybe be a testimony to the earth, right? Corinthians says we're his ambassadors. God's making his appeal to the world through us. So like, okay, like I... It's verse 6 and 7 that we actually have a problem with. <laughs> it's verse 6 and 7 that we actually don't totally understand and really wish that God hadn't put in the scripture. Because look at what verse 6 and 7 say. So when they, when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he got on the next plane and he hurried out to Bethany to heal him. <laughs> Is that what it says? That's not what it says, is it? Doesn't say he hopped on a chariot. Doesn't say he got a donkey. Doesn't say any of that. Look at what it says because it's important that you read the Bible. It's important that you read the text. It's important that you fall in love with the way, the journey that Jesus, the truth and the life works. Because look at what he says. He heard that he was sick. Remember, it just says he loves Mary, Martha and Lazarus. He loves them. Okay, but he heard that he was sick and he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah, Judea again. Think about that. Jesus, alive on the earth, healing people, setting people free doing all the things. He's the good shepherd we learned over the last two weeks. The weeks before that, we learned that he was the light of the world. He still is the light of the world. And the promise for you and I is that if you will follow him, you'll never walk in darkness but have the light of light. That one through seven doesn't feel like never walking in darkness, does it? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're really good at playing the Christian game, but on the inside, let's just be real together today. 
Maybe your life doesn't feel like never walking in darkness. Just be honest with you, in my life, I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> that she's related to me. It's okay. I pay her to do that, to laugh at my jokes. Actually, we just understand each other. It's, it's going to be fine. Right? Sometimes, I mean, this is what I do. And my life doesn't always feel like never walking in darkness. Some of you sit here with profound brokenness, either in your past or your present or you're assuming it's coming. Some of you would like God to answer some questions like now. Mary and Martha would like Jesus to come right away. That's why they sent word to Jesus. And yet, here we are. If we're honest, those of us who just gave a witness about receiving help from the Lord, right? We would also have to give a witness that there are things in our lives that we would love to see God move in now. Prayers that we would like to see Him answer now. And if we're honest, if we can say this in church, sometimes it feels like He's ignoring us. Can I get a witness in church today? (laughs) Right? Like... Yeah, like, sometimes our ideals of the Christian life and faith don't actually add up. Even as far back as the mid-300s, so very close to Jesus, John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, was quick to point out that even those closest to Jesus are not spared suffering and death. He says that those who are offended by such things, and I quote, and this will be on the screen for you, Do not know that those who are especially dear to God, and he's writing about Lazarus, right? Even those who are the closest to the Lord, dear to God, have it as their lot to endure such things as Lazarus. How can that be? Right, I think about John who wrote... The book, the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and wrote Revelation. He wrote Revelation in exile on an island on his own. And when he received that vision from God. Almost every early church father from Scripture and on was murdered for their faith. Like, in other words, it could very well be God's will. Right, We talk a lot about God's will. How do I know God's will for my life? And then we look for what's going to be the best thing for me. <laughs> Oftentimes, God will use His will for us to have us suffer for His glory. And I don't even like to preach that because I feel like I'm inviting it. But it's true. Some of you right now are suffering. And perhaps it's for God's glory. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that God's people all throughout history were people of waiting. People of waiting on the Lord. Waiting on God's promises to come to fruition. Listen to some of this language that Hebrews uses. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. We want each of you to show what? This same diligence. What, what does diligence require? Fortitude. Waiting. Difficulty. We, you have to have some diligence for how long? What's it say? To the very end. Not just the end of the circumstance. What does the very end mean? 
like the end of your life, the coming of Christ, so that what you hope for, so what you hope for may be fully realized. How about verse 12? We do not want you to become lazy. (laughs) You're suffering. Don't be lazy in your suffering. How about that? Not a lot of preachers preaching about that today. But to imitate those who through what? Faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Drop down to verse 18. We who have, look at this, fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So what we're learning, we sang there's joy in the morning. What's the morning? Not when my circumstances change, but when my eyes become fixed on God, right? That's when joy comes in the morning. doesn't mean that I'm going to lose. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago. God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. It's not losing our enemies. It's gaining Christ. Super important that we would be greatly encouraged. And then verse 19. I love this verse, but it's important that you know that it's in that context of waiting and fleeing and being diligent and not being lazy and exercising your faith. That's where he says we have this hope. As an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Where our forerunner. Jesus has entered on our behalf. So the gospel is actually what brings you hope in your suffering. It's the fact that Jesus came and lived. In the Middle East. In a poor family. And lived a life of temptation. And did not sin. And went to the cross and died on your behalf. That that's not a theory. It's a reality. That sets you free. Our anchor is Jesus in the midst of what we call life. Right? You have you ever heard the, the phrase, life comes at you fast. Right? There's some other phrases that we won't say. About a fan and whatnot. You know, when things hit it. Get it together. <laughs> the first seven verses of John 11 actually make total sense to us. We get it. Is what I'm, was basically what I'm getting at. We understand that life happens. I think what we struggle with and what resonates with us in this story of Lazarus is that there's a lot of things in our life that feel dead that we would really like God to resurrect. Lazarus and me, I get it. I get it. But what I want you to see today is something for your faith, something for your hope, something for your soul today. And it's really verse 6 that rubs me the wrong way. If I'm just being totally honest with you, that when Jesus knew that his people needed him, people that he loves, he decides to wait. And what I'm inviting you to wrestle with in your circumstances of life this morning is to wrestle with the fact that God may have chosen to wait to answer your call. And it is in his prerogative and it is our privilege to wait on the Lord. Right? What does scripture say? Those who what on the Lord, he'll renew their strength. What's it say? Wait. You see, this is actually integral to our faith. We just don't like it in our 21st century United States of American religious thinking. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody or any other church or any other guy on YouTube or any other. I don't like it. Doesn't mean it's not true. It's actually very true, and all of us actually 
live with some level of that difficulty. The place where we start to lose our faith in Jesus when he's late to the party is when we lose control of our circumstances. And so, like Mary and Martha, when Jesus does show up, but late, we've started, we've already started to lose our faith. This whole movement of deconstruction, like what is that? Deconstruct your faith. Go for it. But then reconstruct it. Reconstruct it the way Jesus actually taught it. Because a lot of times what we have lost faith in isn't Jesus. It's the way we've been taught about Jesus. Super important. And by the way, the disciples were losing their minds too. If you go back to verse 8, look, they already lost their faith in Jesus. Look at... Look at verse 8 of John chapter 11. They say, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going to go there again. Never mind that people you love are dying. You're going to die. Why why would we go back there? They had already taken their eyes off of what Jesus was capable of doing after all the things they had just seen. They were just told that he's the good shepherd. They had Psalm 23. And here they are. Verse 9. Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. What an answer. Don't you just love Jesus? We're going to die. Aren't there 12 hours in a day? What? What are you talking about? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Yikes. Insert foot to mouth, right? Like, they lost their faith. Verse 11, he said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I love this verse. Come on, somebody. But I'm on my way to wake him up. Wow. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, (laughs) these disciples, I love it. I'm just like this, right? Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll get well. We don't need to go. We don't need to go. Verse 13, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, don't you sometimes need to just tell you plainly, Lazarus has died. Lazarus and me. Lazarus has died. Sometimes your dreams die. Sometimes what you thought was right dies. Sometimes things in your life die. Wow. I'm glad for you, verse 15, that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, it's always somebody, gotta love doubting Thomas, right? Said to his fellow disciples, (laughs) you just see him doing it, just throwing his hands up. Let's go too so that we may die with him. We're going to go, but it's not because we want to. You boys ready to die? That's where we're at. Lazarus and me. Listen, I, I'm let, like, there's no doubt, even a room with this amount of people in it or watching online, like there's some of you, your faith is dying. Some of you, your faith is dying. Lazarus and me, my faith is dying because you didn't show up when I needed you. I'm losing control of the outcomes, and as a result, I'm losing my trust in the Lord. So what is Jesus trying to teach all of us here? 
He's teaching us about our faith. Right? He literally says to the disciples, I'm glad Lazarus died for your sake. Lazarus, check this, Lazarus was suffering. Mary and Martha were suffering because the disciples had lost their faith. One of the unique factors of the Christian faith is that God takes your pain and gives it a purpose. That when you walk through something, God can use it for his glory. What does that look like? You being his ambassador. God making his appeal to the world through your circumstances. So it's totally reversing your view of your circumstances. I'm going through this so that I can reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our faith, I want you to look at this, I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Our faith is rooted in then. We know what Jesus has done. It's rooted then. But it's practiced now. Right? If you are not practicing your faith, it's not faith. You are not saved by your faith. But once God saves you, you will have faith and you'll act on it. Otherwise... Oh, you don't like that. We might not be saved. There's, there's no use beating around the bush, right? Like if we don't act like it. Like if my kids stop acting like coons, I don't just go, well, kids will be kids. No, no, no. We don't do that. And neither are you. Because you're a coon. You bear my name. You're going to act like it. Stop it. <laughs> but then when they do it, we celebrate that, right? We praise that. If we're God's kids, our faith is rooted in what Jesus has done for us. He does the saving. But man, James is very clear, like a a faith that doesn't have works is dead, right? Saving faith always has evidence, right? Grace that goes in, this is a better way to say it, grace that goes in always comes out. Super important. But listen, we've been talking about hope all morning. We've been singing about it. We've read some scriptures about it. Our hope is in the future. We're rooted in what God's already done. We're practicing our faith in what he's doing now, even if we can't totally tell what he's doing because he's late. (laughs) Or he's not answering yet. But we know we can trust it because of what he's done. You said yourself... All of you, I think, raised your voice and gave a witness that God has helped you before. Right? So why, when we're going through what we're going through now, can we not look to what he did then for the roots of our faith? Right? Hebrews also tells us that those who have gone before us are like a great cloud of witnesses. We read this book, God gave us his word because we are tethering our faith to what has already happened. So we can practice it today so that it will be realized in the future. Super important. We call this hope. But we don't have any hope if we can't see the past and the present. Where's God now? Right? Look at verse 17 when Jesus arrives, so he finally shows up. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. 
As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, and here it is, just honest. Lord, if you had been here. Lord, if you had been here. My brother wouldn't have died. But there's this thread of faith, right? Look at verse 22. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You didn't come. And my brother died. But I still think you can do something about it. How many of us are in that place? This thing happened. And God, you didn't show up, but I still think you can. I still... There's a little piece of my heart that still thinks you can. Man. Look at verse 23. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha, (laughs) type A. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that someday in the future, my faith, I know I'll see them again. Right? That Christianese, right? Like, God bless you for your loss. We'll see them again someday. You're like, yeah, but I can't now. That's the painful part, right? And so Martha's saying that to Jesus. But look at what Jesus says in verse 25, and this is for us. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives And what? Believes in who? Me will never die. And then he asked them the question, right? And he's asking you. I love this. Do you believe this? Just asks her on the spot. Listen, if you claim to be a Christian, but you don't believe what I just read, you're not a Christian. Jesus says right to this this woman that he loves and cares for. He looks her right in the eye and says, do you believe this? You're like, how could you even ask him, ask Martha that? They've known you for a long time. You're tight. You're family. Martha, do you, do you really believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And I just ask you today as you sit right here in front of me, do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And that if you Die, you'll live. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. But look at her answer. I love this. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. It's powerful. It's powerful. And then it's rinse and repeat with Mary. Mary, Martha goes and gets Mary. Drop down to verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would have died. Why does John put both in? Because this is your life. This is Lazarus and you. (laughs) This is, this is who, this is the way life goes. This is life. She fell at his feet. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, I love this about the Lord. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Verse 35 tells us that he cried. Verse 34, where have you put him? Lord, they told him, come and see. And then the people around asked the really important question down in verse 37. 
But some of them, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? You just see the layers and layers of faith in humans that we wrestle with. You've got the Jews, the crowd, coming to comfort the one struggling. No doubt there's a lot of us who have people in our life right now that are struggling and we, you, know, just, you don't know what to say. You're just looking and going, God, I know you could do this if you wanted to. Why aren't you doing it? You see their faith struggling. You see Mary and Martha's faith struggling. The disciples' faith is struggling. And here's Jesus. <laughs> I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Wow. Do you really believe that God can move on your behalf again? Wow. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It's remarkable to me that Jesus is remaining deeply moved at the amount of people that aren't digging what he's bringing. Like just over and over, disbelief, 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 disbelief. And he's just moved with compassion. So he's moved, he came to the tomb, it was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said, Martha, the detail sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead for four days. Look at verse 40. Jesus again, he's very patient. Didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Christian, God has told you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this so that they may believe in you who sent me. After this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face, un- face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? Your circumstances? The things of this world? The leadership of this world? Good luck. Or do you believe in God? It's a critical question. And it's not a foregone conclusion, by the way. It's a question you have to answer. Mary and Martha, his close companions, people that the scripture literally says he loved. Jesus looks Martha right in the eye and says, do you believe this? He's going to ask you right now, 21st century United States of American Christian. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That even if you die, you're going to live? Because that kind of perspective on life will change the way you live. And that's the rub. Am I willing? Do do I believe to the point that I'm willing to change the way I live? Man. Man. There's two big takeaways I want to give you today. One is personal, one is corporate. One's for all of us as the church. The other one is for you. 
the first one that I, I just blown away by the end of this text, all about faith, is that at the end of all of that, Jesus just looks to the heavens. He looks to the Father and he says, I'm so glad that you hear me. A huge component of your personal journey, your personal faith, is prayer. If you are not praying, you don't have any faith. And I don't say that in a mean way, I say that in a loving way. That the first response that any of us have is to pray. Is to look to the Father and know that you know that He hears you. He actually hears you. If you don't believe that, you're never going to get past first base in your spiritual journey. Jesus thanks the Father for hearing Him. Some of us have forgotten that God can hear us. Or we've simply stopped believing that God actually hears us. Or that He's even there. I shared a quote by a guy named Matthew Thiessen this week, and I think it's really helpful as we think about this. He was writing about Lazarus. This will be on the screen for you. He says this, despite, he's talking about Lazarus, despite the fact that corpse contamination was the strongest form of impurity in Jewish thought. The gospel writers depict Jesus repeatedly overcoming it. And the only conclusion that one can draw from such portrayals is that the gospel writers were convinced that Jesus was a source of holiness that was even more powerful than death itself. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that that's true, it's going to change the way you live. And I think that is the struggle. That's the wrestle of the Christian faith. We're going to say we believe that, but when you walk out of here and go home, how do you live? I want to pray like that. I want to pray like that. I want to pray like I actually believe that God is so holy that he can drive out death itself. Real people stood there four days after Lazarus died and watched his smelly corpse be raised back to life. What do you believe personally is hopelessly dead in your life? That you need to revisit with the Lord today and see if he won't bring it back to life. Maybe it's your faith. And maybe it's some circumstance. But do you believe that God is so holy that he's even more powerful than that death itself? The second thing is corporate. It's for all of us. It's for Redeemer City Church. We're supposed to share that. We're not supposed to share all of the things we think people are doing wrong. Jesus didn't say that, did he? (laughs) He'll handle that part. What he tells you and I to do is to go out into all the world and preach the what? Gospel. What's the gospel? 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Don't answer that. Unless it was like yesterday. And that'd be great. Are we sharing Life with people. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. People want that. I want that. You want that. That is not controversial. What's controversial is once God saves them, he'll start to move in and change them. But you don't got to worry about that. The Holy Spirit's really good at his job. Perhaps the greatest stain on the Christian life for many of us is our shame in sharing Jesus. There's many reasons one could be ashamed of sharing our faith. Cultural climate probably being the biggest. You just know it's going to come with a rub. But listen. We were called by God to share this. And what's, what's beautiful and life-giving and hopeful about sharing the gospel is you're just sharing the gospel. You're not sharing all the baggage that Christians who have tried to live this thing out for thousands of years have gathered and brought with them. <laughs> we're not sharing all that. What we're sharing is Jesus. And then we're inviting people to come be a part of this mess that we call church where not a single one of us, myself included, have it all figured out. We're not inviting people to clean up and come. No, we're inviting people to Jesus because we all need to be cleaned up. That'd be a good spot to say amen. (laughs) Right? And so my job as your pastor is scripture says to equip you to do the work of the church. And so I want to give you a tool. So Jerome, can you and Pastor Tim in that basket are what I'm calling kingdom cards. And we're going to change the way we think about people if it's the last thing that I do as your pastor. So on this kingdom card is a verse in the book of Mark that simply says that you are supposed to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You'll get one in a second. It looks just like this. And on it, there are eight slots. What I want to encourage you, you see, how do we know As a church, if we're winning, everybody wants to win, right? Winning at Redeemer City Church is not having a bunch of people in the seats. That's not winning here. It's not what we're after. You should just know that. Winning is this. Winning is, are we actually living out what we believe? Step one, list eight people With whom you have a close relationship. Step two. Pray that each person 
would sense God's presence in their life and be open to his love. That has nothing to do with you. You don't have to do anything yet. You're just going to write names down and you're going to pray for them. Step three is where you get involved in what God's already begun to do. Are you are you tracking with me? God's already working. Invest. Look for creative ways to bless them and be generous towards them. Step four. Then invite them either to church. That's what you want to do. Or just to your house, your community, your group. And it may take many times. But then step five, lead them. Become an example of Jesus to them. Listen, this is the only way that we know if we're winning. Right? Because Jesus said, right? We talk all the time, vision up, vision in, vision out. Right? We love God, share good news, then serve our city. It always goes in that order. We gather because we're celebrating and we're turning our hearts to Jesus. We're looking to him. And then he moves in with good news and he begins to rearrange the furniture of your heart. He begins to transform you to look more like Jesus and that takes a lifetime. But while that's happening, we then turn and we look with Jesus at the world around us. Right? We need a tool to do that or we won't do it because we're what? Selfish. I'm really selfish, and so are you. We can't help it. It's our sin nature. So we need these things to shift our focus away from me. That's not, the win is not Mitch. Right? The win is people moving from death to life and then being transformed into the image of God. We need Right? Jesus told us to pray this. God, that your kingdom would come. Right at the bottom of that card it says kingdom come. What does that look like? That your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In the book of Acts, every time the church gathers, what's it say? That people were added to their number. Why? Not because they needed a bigger crowd. In fact, a lot of them would scatter and go to other churches. And... But people passing from death to life. So, two big takeaways in your life. You're not even going to get to this if you don't believe. Your name might need to go at the top of the card. Because if you don't believe, you're not going to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. You need the Lord to move in your life. So I want to do something a little different today. I just want to ask you to bow your head right where you're at. And talk to the Lord. Just have a moment of silence. You know we say this sometimes. That this moment of silence might be the only silence you get all week. Just take a deep breath and think through. How's your faith? How's your faith? Do you believe? I'm going to have Kevin come up and just play behind us. And as the music is playing, I just want you to think through that. Maybe you do believe, but there's something dead in your life that you need to see the Lord resurrect. I want to invite you to do that now, to talk to him about it. And then lastly, the card. Start thinking of those eight people. Because when you... 
look at Redeemer City Church and you ask yourself, are we winning? What I want to happen is that card to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Who is being affected by Jesus as a result of our church existing? That's what we're after. Kingdom come. So as Kevin plays behind me, just take this minute to talk to the Lord. Because, as we learn, He's listening. And after a minute, I'll come back up and I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing our way out. The rest of the band wants to make their way up. I'm going to pray. And then we'll sing our way out this morning. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the disciples who struggled with their faith, even though they were so close to you. We're grateful for Mary and Martha who were so close to you and they struggled with their faith. We're grateful for the Jewish people who were so close to you and struggled with their faith because, God, we do. We struggle with our faith. But Holy Spirit, just like Martha, who was struggling to know why the Lord didn't come, she still believed that he could do what only Jesus could do. And so, Lord, I just pray for every single person within the sound of my voice that you would spark that flame, that little glimpse of faith that remains would you fan that into a flame today would you reignite the fire of their heart holy spirit would you be that tongue of fire that would come down on them just like you did of old we love you jesus really grateful for your goodness to us even in circumstances that we don't understand come on let's stand together and let's sing this out like we believe it.